0: To Nuggets numbers. I'm your host Ryan Blackburn at NBA Blackburn on Twitter. It is Monday night as I'm in normal recording mode following an excellent win over the Dallas Mavericks. Final score something to something, I don't, I don't really know. 117 113. Uh, Denver did a really nice job of recovering through a couple of moments of strife during this particular game. Uh, the beginning of the third quarter was pretty difficult, culminating in an, an ejection of Jamal Murray uh, but Michael Porter Jr. was really the storyline of this game coming off the bench 28 minutes, 30 points, eight rebounds, 10 of 18 from the field, six of ten from three. he was letting it fly tonight it was a plus ten in a in a four point win looked really really good so, we're going to talk about the game. We're going to do a general recap in the first segment. Second segment, I'll dive more deeply into the Michael Porter Jr. discussion. And then third segment, we'll talk about the P.J. Dozier injury and some general expectations for how things are going to look going forward. Uh, looking forward to talking all about it. But first, let's get into the game. Um First half, first quarter, I thought the starters looked pretty good, uh, but the bench was even better. Uh, Starting with the starters, though, Gary Harris kicks off the game with multiple threes. That was a really great sign, and he went two of two from the three-point line tonight. Only took six shots, but he spent so much of his energy guarding Luka Doncic throughout the game. Uh, He wasn't necessarily needed. He wasn't the, the most important focal point of the offense. And though he did convert the opportunities that he had, which was nice, 10 points on six shots, three rebounds, two assists, one block, uh, he looked good. And and it was nice to get a really solid Gary Harris game from the perspective of, I'm going to guard Luka Doncic as best as I can and just make the plays that I need to make on the other end of the floor. That was good. Uh, Jamal Murray started off this game really well. And and that was really good to see. He had eleven quick points in the in the first quarter, and he was he was really filling it up. He felt pretty good out there. Clearly, um, second half rolled around, and, and we'll we'll talk about that in just a little bit. But uh, uh Jokic also looked really good in the, in the first half, especially. He was efficient. He was effective. Finished with twenty points, fourteen rebounds, four assists, two steals, and a block. Had a really key steal at the end of the fourth quarter. Uh, As the Mavericks were trying to get get a rally together, Luka Doncic uh, tries to force a pass and and Jokic deflects the pass right into a steal. Uh, Good stuff from him, of course. Uh, Gotta talk about Paul Millsap and Will Barton, though, because this was the the second straight game where both of them just didn't really look uh, physically in a good spot. Uh, Will Barton did have a couple of nice layups in the third quarter, uh, but he struggled to to get things together in kind of a big way and in a, in a really important way. He did have five assists and seven rebounds, so it wasn't like he was just a, an empty game by any stretch of things, but he is still struggling to finish around the rim. 0-4 from three tonight. You're always allowed a, a, a bad shooting night, so don't, don't, get me for being a hater or anything like that, but uh, on a night where the bench really had to pick things up for the starters, uh, Harris, Barton, and Millsap combined for just 18 points, that's not going to do it on most nights. and It really killed the Nuggets at the beginning of the third quarter when things weren't going well. They had entered the third quarter with a 70-58 to 58 lead. Uh, the bench had done a really nice job of, of giving them some, some leeway. And it, it was really too bad to see that lead disintegrate. Uh, it was it was all parties involved. It wasn't like it was just those three. But the Nuggets clearly need other weaponry out there that's a little bit more reliable from a game-to-game basis. Uh, it's not as easy as just inserting Michael Porter Jr. for one of those guys because there are things on the bench that become pretty complicated. But like with that starting unit, there are definitely time periods, especially in the third quarter lately, where the Nuggets have gone through dead periods where they just can't score, and Dallas, on top of scoring 36 points, they held Denver to 22, and that's the reason why Denver almost lost this game. Uh, Michael Porter kind of picked things up, as did JaMichael Green in that late third quarter, but it was nearly a catastrophe, kind of like the uh, the Phoenix Suns' second half in that second game on Saturday. Uh, where Denver scored zero points in about six minutes of game time in the third. So Denver's got to figure that out. I'm not sure what the what the situation is. I'm not sure what the what the rotation is for Michael Malone and whether he just wants to wait until the end of the road trip before reinserting Michael Porter Jr. into the starting unit. He has called him a starter, but he's also said that the Nuggets have more than five starters on their team. Uh, Jamichael Green counts there. Michael Porter counts there as do the five starters that are currently playing. Um, I'm curious to see how long this starting lineup continues to go, though, uh, because it it has really fallen off as of late. Um, PJ Dozier got injured in the middle of the second quarter. Uh, I'll talk about him more in the third segment, but it doesn't look great. It's a hamstring injury, and, and those are pretty nasty, so... Uh, hope that PJ's okay. He's one of Denver's most important players on that bench unit. Uh, so that's uh well, not most important, but like he he's a key contributor and he's he's finished games for Denver. He's closed a lot of lineups and he's kind of the fifth player in some of those lineups that kind of ties everything together. So it's a tough spot for for PJ to be in. Um Luka Doncic was really annoying in that first quarter. Uh he was foul hunting consistently. He racked up eight free throws in the first quarter, 10 in the first half, didn't accumulate another free throw after that. Denver really started playing a lot more disciplined in terms of not fouling him. And that's what you want to see, because things were looking pretty grim towards the end of that first half with how they were guarding Luka. And at the end of the third quarter, or by the end of the third quarter, they had given up several assists that were uh, pretty wide open and in transition and just really, really easy stuff for a guy like Luca. So the fact that Denver was able to turn it around a little bit, uh, really cut off all the, the scoring opportunities for the rest of the players and, and force him to try to beat them one-on-one. That was good. That was good of for what Denver did. Um, Murray was ejected in that third quarter. It was kind of a, it was a bad play. Let's be honest. Um, I do think that Tim Hardaway Jr. fouled him uh, midway through the third quarter on, on a couple of occasions, and on that second occasion, uh, it knocked Murray to the ground, and as he was getting up, uh, he sort of grabbed uh, Tim Hardaway in the nether region, and it, it just it didn't look very good. It was uh, not a play that, that's going to go on Jamal Murray's record as the cleanest play. Uh, I don't want to hold anything against him, but if he does get suspended, he should feel pretty bad for reacting that emotionally in a situation like that because it did put Denver in a position where they could have lost this game because they lost their second best player. So they were lucky that Michael Porter Jr. entered that game and immediately changed it. 18 points in the second half, some good defensive plays as well. He had a couple of steals against Luka Doncic by just using his size and using his length and athleticism uh, I'll talk about another play in the second segment that I thought was really interesting, but uh, he just looked great. He he really looked like in, in those limited, or not limited minutes, but in the second half especially, he was very comfortable out there hunting his shot, making himself available, and converting on the opportunities that he had. So very impressive to see that in just his third game back after a three-week absence. Uh, it's like he never left. Monte Morris really set him up really well for easy baskets, including a back cut uh, and an and one over Kristaps Porzingis. I believe that was actually in the second quarter, if I'm not, if I'm not mistaken. But uh, uh, those two have some really good chemistry, uh, Monte and MPJ. And by pairing them together, by putting Faku Compazzo out there as well, Faku wants to find him. He wants to find Jamichael Green as well. Those guys shoot the three ball really, really well, and. Faku knows that the best way to rack up assists is to hit the open three-point shooters that are really good. Uh, and that's a that's a really good place for the bench to be, especially right now. That if Jermichael Green is going to be the five, if Michael Porter is going to be the four with that bench group, uh, then having Faku Campazo and Monte Morris setting them up is a good place to be. Uh, when P.J. was injured, It was questioned. I I, I was kind of thinking who is going to come into the game and thought that there was a chance that R.J. Hampton would be the guy because neither Harris, Barton, nor Millsap were really playing that well, or really Harris or Barton, uh, and uh, Murray was already ejected. So R.J. Hampton gets into the game in that fourth quarter, and, and you're thinking, okay, this is a really interesting opportunity for him because Luka Doncic j- did just go out of the game. Had Luka been in there, I think he would have hunted the rookie a little bit more, uh, tried to get him into foul, tried to get the Nuggets into foul trouble, tried to uh, make Hampton uncomfortable in a in a new situation for him. But Hampton was very poised. He looked really good on the defensive end. He was rotating quickly. Uh, he's a blur out there on both sides of the floor and. It really manifested on the offensive end when he was hustling down offensive rebounds and uh, just making that extra effort to keep possessions alive. And uh, that was that was one of the most important parts of that fourth quarter. Was Denver was out hustling Dallas. They out rebounded them forty nine to thirty four in the game. Uh, they generated a couple of steals, generated a couple of turnovers in that fourth quarter, and uh, it, a lot of it was because of Hampton and Facundo Campazzo. Uh, both of those guys can take credit for that for sure. Denver really won that fourth quarter with defense rather than on- offense, in all honesty. It was a 25-19 fourth quarter. And while Porter hit a couple of late threes, including a dagger, uh, Jokic hit that important bank shot. Barton did hit two free throws. Uh, that's all Denver really needed. Uh, they, they had done their hard work by defending Luka Doncic really well, by forcing the ball into tough positions with Kristaps uh, Porzingis, Tim Hardaway Jr. Uh, all three of those guys combined for 59 field goal attempts. And Denver only gave up uh, 24 of those. So they went 24 of 59 as a trio. And that's what Denver really needed. They needed that to stay alive. They they stopped fouling in the second half. And so really good effort from Denver on the on the defensive side of the ball Especially given that Jamal Murray was ejected, they knew that the offense would be a little bit more difficult to come by, and it was. But having that opportunity to really lock in on the defensive end, even with Michael Porter Jr. on the floor, I thought that was really impressive. So that's going to be the game recap section of this. When we come back, we're going to talk about Michael Porter Jr. a little bit more in depth and just have that discussion. We'll be right back. Back Nuggets numbers Ryan Blackburn here. Thank you for tuning in on this Tuesday, uh, Monday night for me, but should be going up pretty early Tuesday morning. And happy to be recording this one because it's a it's a good time for Denver at this point. They've won four games in a row. They're seven and three as a team. Nine actually nine and three in their last twelve games, uh, and nine and seven or ten and seven is their record right now. They're now they've moved up to fourth in the West. So. I'll talk about that a little bit more in the third segment, but for now, let's talk about Michael Porter Jr., who had 30 points, 10 of 18 from the field, 6 of 10 from 3, 8 rebounds. He didn't have any assists, but I thought he did make some nice passes and some nice reads. It wasn't like he was, he wasn't only hunting his shot and just neglecting the open pass. Uh, He did try to make the extra pass, and and there were a couple of times where uh, either P.J. Dozier didn't convert or... Will Barton stopped running the floor on a fast break or something like that, but I thought he did a nice job of of not really forcing himself and kind of foisting himself upon the offense that Denver was running. Uh, He was clearly the second option out there, sometimes the first, but it never felt like, in my opinion, that he was just going to dribble, 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 shoot, or face up and shoot. Uh, A lot of his shots were of the catch-and-shoot variety, Uh, after having done some work moving off ball, after getting a kick out for a three, uh, a swing-swing pass, things like that, he did some nice off-ball cutting. Uh, One of his dunks late in the game, he actually did a really nice job with Jokic on the block. He cut through the lane to free up an open shot for Gary Harris, but Gary passed that up and, and drove past Luka Doncic, and Porter, lurking on the baseline after that, he kind of hung around, and and Harris did a nice job of dumping the pass off. Could have been called for an offensive foul. I'm glad he wasn't, uh, but Porter at that point had an easy dunk, and, and it was a demoralizing play for a Dallas team that was doing their damnedest to come back. Um, after that, Porter hit another dagger three, with Denver going from up four to up seven with about 45 seconds left. That really was the dagger, and and. Dallas never came close after that. One of the things that I think has gone under-disgust about Porter and and what his value to this team could be was that I think his pick-and-roll defense is improving, not necessarily as the point man, not necessarily as the, the guy who's covering the roller, uh, but as the weak-side helper, I actually think he's one of the best on the team. He may actually be the best on the team in that in that pick and roll weak side defense because of his combination of length and athleticism he can rotate onto a roller and block them at the rim or, or meet them above the charge circle he can also spring out and, and grab some steals uh, on the pass that's going to that weak side corner uh, and when he does rotate onto the roller He does a really good job of of if a shot goes up, he gets into good box-out position. He did this really well against DeAndre Ayton a couple of games ago. Grabbed a a clutch rebound, a clutch defensive rebound where Denver needed to uh, not allow a second-chance point in a situation where it was a one-score or two-score game. I can't remember which. Uh, And he cleared the rebound pretty easily over DeAndre Ayton despite being contested. And that's what you need from a guy like Porter. His value on the defensive end can't just be in guarding the perimeter or guarding the interior. He at 6'10 has to be one of the best rebounders on the floor, if not the best rebounder. And he's done a really good job of that, especially lately. He's averaging over seven rebounds per game this year. Uh, His rebounding rates are still pretty good. They're not as good as they were last year, but he can get up to that threshold. Uh, in the double overtime game against the Suns, he had 11 rebounds. In this game he had only eight, but eight is still pretty good. And Denver, they won their rebounding battle 54 to, nine, to 54 to 39. a plus 15 rebounding margin. That is one of the hidden values of having Porter on the floor, even having him a power forward because he sort of fills that role as that, that low man helper really, really well. And it also puts him to great rebounding position on a consistent basis. When he's at the small forward position, he's often chasing around guys on the perimeter. He's on the wing, less in rebounding position and more in kind of leak out and transition position. Um, So that I think uses his strengths a little bit less. And it's one of the reasons why I'm glad what Malone is doing right now. He is surrounding the Porter at power forward and Green at center minutes with three guards. Uh, usually it's Faku, Compasso, Monte Morris, and PJ Dozier. That's what it's been for the last three games, and I think that's worked really well. When it's not Faku, Compasso, it's Jamal Murray or it's Gary Harris or it's Will Barton or one of those guys, and I think it does a really nice job for what Denver is looking for with a with a lineup that features Porter because. At your four, you have a sniper of a shooter. He's shooting 47%, 48% on outside shots, and he's very natural in that role. He he's a great shooter, and especially when you when you consider him a stretch four, who can do the things that he can do. And then you have Jermichael Green, who's currently shooting the lights out already. He's I, I don't know where he's at right now percentage-wise, but it's got to be around 45%. That's incredible to have a 48% shooter and a 45% shooter in your front court. That rarely happens, especially for players that are very comfortable taking 5, 6, 7, 10 of them a game. So I think that that's one of the reasons why those combinations have worked. It's opened up the paint for drivers. It's opened up the paint for backdoor cuts. Um... The three, conf- the three configurations of lineup that I really like for Porter right now are the Porter-Green-Jokic combination. That's usually the first rotation that he comes into the game with. Then there's the Porter-Green combination, with Green as the small ball center. That has worked really well. And then there's the Porter-Jokic combination, which often closes games. Been very impressed with how Porter has handled himself as the power forward next to Jokic because he has to be able to move. Porter has to be able to cover a lot of ground and make sure that he's in good defensive position in the clutch because Denver can't have any of those mistakes. They need a guy like Porter who can be athletic on the low side. They don't necessarily need him to be the the man-on-man defender. Uh, they would need a Jeremy Grant for that, for example. That would be nice if you had him. Uh, but if Porter is defending power forwards, He does a great job of both guarding the rim and also getting into passing lanes and having the length to close out against those players. There will be times where he gets caught. There will be times where he does a worse job than he's done so far. But I thought he really handled himself against a guy like Luka Doncic. And that's about all you can really ask for. (laughs) Like, If if you can handle yourself against Luka and the system that Dallas runs, he also handled, handled himself well against Phoenix and the system that Phoenix runs. He was definitely the best power forward on the team, especially defensively. Uh, pretty pretty surprising, in my opinion, but I think it makes a lot of sense. Just having the athleticism, having the length, it is so important. So. Denver has closed the last two games with that Porter and Jokic combo. It's really good for a variety of reasons. Like I said, Denver's guard-heavy, Moving to the four increases that spacing. There's no loss of rebounding because of the size with those two. Um, I think that he should start, though. And it's tough because you're kind of doing that with him as the small forward. And I just talked about how great he's been at power forward. But maybe there is an opportunity to start him at power forward. Paul Millsap hasn't looked great lately. And it's perhaps it's a good idea to get him a game off here or there. Uh, it may not be a good long-term solution, though. And so... It's hard to do everything because every wherever you move Porter, there's going to be concerns. If you move him in for Will Barton, then he then Porter is playing the three next to Paul Millsap at the four and Jokic at the five. Not a lot of mobility in that front court, and that could be a concern. If you put him at the four next to uh, Harris and Barton, that's probably Denver's best group. But where does Millsap go? Is he a bench four? Is he a bench five? Do Millsap and Green play together on the second unit? I don't know. If you move him in for Harris, Denver loses a lot of their perimeter defense. And you still have that problem with Porter and Millsap playing next to Jokic, which I don't like that combination at all. So you could also move Jermichael Green into the starting lineup, which I think is going to be Denver's best group think that Murray, Harris, Porter, Green, and Jokic is probably Denver's best starting lineup right now, but what does that do to the bench? Then you've got Faku, Campazo, Monte Morris, Will Barton, Paul Millsap, Isaiah Hartenstein. That's not great. That's not a really good-looking unit. I would be really concerned if I were Denver in that situation. And one of the things that Denver has really benefited from from having Porter in that bench unit was they they're never going to really struggle to score. In in addition, you'd be removing Jermichael Green from that bench unit who has been unbelievably helpful. So I think it's hard to it's harder to make this decision than people realize. It's harder to make this decision than people are giving Michael Malone credit for. So I'm okay with him being patient. I'm okay with him trying to figure this out. Uh, especially given how well the team is doing right now. They've, they've won four in a row. They've won nine of their last 12. Uh, Porter has really established himself with that bench unit. He's going to close games anyway. Like, I think that's pretty clear. I do think that the most important priority hasn't changed. The Nuggets are still working for the long term. They shouldn't be selling themselves out for the short term, in my opinion, just to increase wins. They have to figure out how to navigate this because it's it's a pretty difficult situation, but it has to happen. Murray, Porter, and Jokic have to play together. They have to maximize that time if they can. So I hope they can find out a good solution. Maybe the solution isn't on the roster right now because they haven't made a trade. Maybe there are... Some opportunities for them to make a trade at the deadline, which is around the start of the second half of the year. And then that's when they make the transition. Maybe they don't wait that long. I tend to think that they're not going to wait that long. I think the Porter is going to make his way into the starting lineup sooner rather than later. I just can't really tell you when it's going to be. Uh, tonight, Morris, Harris, Barton, Porter, and Jokic closed. I think that that's a great combination. You just insert Jamal Murray into one of those guard spots in for one of Morris, Harris and Barton, and you're doing pretty well. I like the idea of Murray Porter and Jokic surrounded by Monte Morris and Gary Harris, because those guys are going to be really solid within their role and play solid defense. I'm a little bit worried about Barton at this point, but he can still come back. They can still figure it out. Um, I do think that they're going to change their starting lineup at some point. Um, I just couldn't honestly tell you when. So either way, let's take another break. When we come back, we're going to talk about the P.J. Dozier injury, what that means for Denver, and then finishing off this road trip strong and some reasonable expectations. We'll be right back. We're back. Final segment here on Nuggets Numbers. Thank you for tuning in. Uh, if you can, make sure to leave a rating, review, and subscribe to this podcast. I, I love seeing the new reviews when they do come in. Uh, it's, it really helps grow the program, and I've, I'm thankful for everybody's love and support over the last few weeks. It's been incredible. You guys are great to me, and I, I always ask too much of you because I I, I love to create this content as, as easily and and as like as free to access as possible um, for you guys and, and make sure that everything is as available as possible as early as I can um, so just working hard keep working hard and having a good time um, final segment let's talk about the pj dozier injury uh, first of all I hope he's okay hamstring injuries they are. They are nagging. They are really tough to come back from because you don't know exactly how that soft tissue is going to react when you start putting pressure on it, when you put more and more pressure on it, and then you're putting game pressure on it, and you're running around, and if you pull it again, and if you reaggravate it again, then you're out for even longer than you would have been initially. So Denver has to be patient with P.J. Dozier. Uh, I don't know what the extent of the injury is. We'll probably find out more tomorrow. Uh, But if he is out for an extended period of time, Denver may be in trouble defensively. I did write something on starting five today on Monday for Denver Stiffs. Make sure to go read it Uh, that he has to improve in one area defensively. And it's actually the area that Michael Porter has really excelled in as the weak side defender on the pick and roll. Uh, So I think the Porter is going to be asked to do a lot more over the course of these next few games. Uh, both defensively and offensively. He may see some time at the three. He may see some time at the four. Uh, Not sure what his role is going to be. I would expect it kind of reprises what he's currently doing. Uh, But if they do decide to play Isaiah Hartenstein at the five and then Jermichael Green at the four and Porter at the three, that's going to put a lot of pressure on Michael Porter to succeed. Uh, there's going to be a lot of pressure on other guys, too. Faku is definitely going to be in the rotation now. And while he's kind of fluctuated in and out of there, uh, he is a guy that Michael Malone trusts and knows he's going to make the right decision nine, ten times out of ten. Um, he will continue to facilitate the bench unit. Monte Morris is obviously going to play a lot of minutes. So is Jermichael Green. So is Michael Porter. I think Will Barton is going to be asked to do a lot. Uh, there have been times where P.J. Dozier kind of replaces Barton as the either the small forward or the power forward in the clutch units, in the closing units. I think that Porter will be the power forward. I'm not sure who's going to be the small forward. Sometimes it would be P.J. Sometimes P.J. would be at the four. Um, if Porter is at the four, then I think Barton is going to continue to see time at the three. And he's going to be asked to do a lot. He's going to be asked to... Try to figure this thing out uh, because he has struggled finishing at the rim all season and there's clearly something ailing him. I don't know what it is. I don't want to speculate. I It could be his current injury. It could be just that he's losing some steam. I don't know. I, I hope that he continues to improve because Denver needs a wing to really step up. I think it's going to be Porter, though I consider him more of a forward than a wing. Uh, they could really use Barton. Uh, to get back to normal. Another guy who stepped up in this game was RJ Hampton. He had his first actual minutes of game time, and I thought he played really well. Uh six-minute stretch at the beginning of the fourth quarter to about the six-minute mark, and I thought he looked in in place, where where he, he didn't look out of place. Uh, he was hustling around, he was making plays, he was uh, flying on defense and and trying to be as impactful as he possibly could without really being a part of things. Uh, I wonder if Denver tries to run him out there again. Uh, they they are going to be playing Miami on this next game, and that's going to be in on Wednesday. So Miami likes to run uh, smaller units. They like to run uh, floor spacing units. So I wonder if. RJ Hampton gets some run out there and and maybe faces a guy like uh, Tyler Hero or Duncan Robinson or a guy of that nature. Uh, It would be interesting to see him play against uh, Tyler Hero because I think they kind of have a similar style in terms of wanting to get to jump shots, but still trying to be aggressive with the ball in their hands, maybe still being effective without the ball in their hands. Uh, Either way. Hopefully R.J. Hampton takes advantage of the time that he does get. And then Hartenstein is the last guy who I think might be asked to do a little bit more. Uh, he is currently out of the rotation, has been out of the rotation for a while. Jermichael Green has kind of taken over as that backup five, and it's the spot where Michael Malone really trusts Jermichael Green. and He has spaced the floor really well, done a really nice job. and Denver is, hasn't really faced a big backup center yet to really punish Jermichael Green, uh, Rudy Gobert, and uh, uh, not Rudy Gobert, excuse me, DeAndre Ayton was the closest, but he had to match up with Jokic a lot more. He was more of a a Jokic matchup than a Jermichael Green matchup, and Jermichael Green got to face Frank Kaminsky, and Jermichael Green is going to make that work on a very consistent basis. So, uh, Hartenstein, if he does get in there, I hope he continues to do what he's good at, uh, roll hard to the rim, make plays at the rim, uh, block shots defensively, and rebound. And don't foul, for the love of everything. Please stop fouling. More expectations for this road trip. Uh, Denver is a top-four seed again right now with their, their win and a Portland loss. They've moved to 10-7, and seven, could move to 12-7 and seven if they win their next two games against Miami and San Antonio. Uh, I know it doesn't sound very impressive to move to 12-7, and seven, but remember, they started the season 1-4. and four. That means that they would have gone 11-3 in their last 14 games. And there are, there were some tough matchups in that stretch, and they lost a couple of those tough matchups, but having won three straight against Phoenix-Phoenix-Dallas has been really, really impressive. Miami has cur- is currently struggling a little bit. San Antonio, they just had a game postponed because of COVID-19 protocols. Uh, I'm not sure whether that sticks. I'm not sure what stands out with the the rotation there and whether San Antonio is going to be able to play on this upcoming Friday when Denver and them are supposed to play. But we're going to see. We're going to find out. And I think that if the game does happen, then there will be a couple of players out on San Antonio. But those games are an interesting test. Uh, Miami especially for Denver. Uh, Jimmy Butler hasn't played in a while, and so he might not be ready to go. I haven't really checked that. But if he's not ready to go, then the matchup between Bam Adebayo and Nikola Jokic is going to be really interesting. I think Jokic still wins that matchup. I think that's that's still pretty evident. But Bam is very good. He's very athletic, very strong, has really evolved his game. Uh, it wouldn't surprise me if those two tried to get each other into foul trouble. And it could go either way at that point. So Denver will need their full cadre of players as much as possible, given that Dozier will probably be out. Um, I hope that Denver continues to take advantage of the momentum that they have. Uh, Porter is in a good spot to continue to make an impact, whether it's on the bench, whether it's with the starters or the closing unit, uh, against both of these teams. Because they don't have dangerous power forwards that you're really worried about on a consistent basis. So he doesn't have to chase around Duncan Robinson. He doesn't have to chase around Jay Crowder in this case with Miami. Uh, it's either probably going to be Andre Iguodala or whoever the current starting power forward is right now for a for Miami. I'm actually I'm I'm very not up to date with my Miami stuff because they've had some COVID uh, stuff that has really prevented them from getting off the ground and they've really struggled out of the gate. So. This is a a game that Denver could really take. Um, After those two games, you have a back-to-back against Utah and Detroit. Revenge games for different reasons. The first being that Denver just lost to Utah a couple weeks ago, or within the couple weeks. And getting a game back against Utah would be very helpful. They've already lost to Utah on their home floor. And they probably need to take this one if they want to continue to win their division and, and gain some ground on Utah, who has gotten off to a really strong start. Pretty sure they're 12-4. and four. And then Detroit. Uh, Jeremy Grant would be really helpful for this Nuggets roster right now. If you're starting Porter and Grant and you've got Jermichael Green off the bench, I think Denver's feeling pretty good about where they stand. Um. As it stands, they they don't have that guy. They don't have the player that they think could match up and be a physical problem for guys like Kawhi, Paul George, LeBron, Luka, etc. Uh, Denver doesn't really have that option, so they've had to kind of uh, improvise in that situation. And so Jeremy Grant has really found a home in Detroit. He's done a really good job of taking that that role that's been given to him and really expanding it. Really proving that he deserves things, he's been coming back to Earth lately. But Denver's going to have an opportunity to go up against him, and maybe they they get some revenge and they prove that he should have stayed. I think three and one over these next four games: Miami, San Antonio, Utah, Detroit. Three and one would be great. If you go two and two, it's fine; it's nothing to be concerned about. If you go one and three, then that's definitely a concern. If you go four and zero. Oh, that would be awesome. That would be obviously the best case scenario, but if you can get through a couple of road games and com- complete a five and 0 road trip and then win a back-to-back at home, following that up, that is some really mature and impressive winning that Denver would have done at that point. So I'm looking forward to seeing how they handle it. Um, I still think that the blending of Murray Porter and Jokic, it's still the second most important thing on this roster. Uh, Winning and, and getting to a top six seed is the most important thing. I, th- I still think winning games is the most important and you try to do what you can to win games because it sets habits. Um, they want to be a top six seed so they can stay out of this, this play in tourney that's going to happen this year. And that way they also don't have to face a likely one seed or two seed that includes an LA team. And they can win until the second round before doing that. Uh, but for now, The most important thing outside of that is still to incorporate Murray, Porter, and Jokic. It isn't lost on me that Porter's big game tonight came almost entirely with Jamal Murray sitting, Uh, either as a player who was ejected or just Porter was operating with the bench, and he wasn't on the floor with Jokic in those cases. So I am looking forward to seeing how they can continue to work that through. Uh, The next four games will go a long way in kind of testing all three of those guys, but if they can score together, if they can find a way to blend their games and and really work through those issues, I think this is going to be a really rewarding stretch of time for this Denver Nuggets franchise. After a really tough start, after struggling to find their footing, after losing Michael Porter for 10 games due to COVID protocols, uh, Denver could find themselves back into that championship picture really quick. I still have concerns about their long-term or their their short-term ceiling given some of their roster weaknesses, but for now, just do what you can, uh, do all that can be asked of them, and and just hope that they continue to win. That's going to do it for this episode of Nuggets Numbers. Thank you for tuning in on this Tuesday. It's now Tuesday. I've crossed over the uh, the midnight threshold here, so make sure to tune back in to. Uh, the Denver Stiffs podcast network over the next couple of days. We're going to do another Garbage Takes episode on Thursday following following Wednesday's game. And then we'll do a Denver Stiffs show on Friday, which I think I'm going to have a special guest on. So keep an eye out for that. Make sure to rate, review, and subscribe on iTunes. Always appreciate the love. And I'll talk to you guys very soon.